If you are currently eating animal fats or using them in cooking and you switch to olive oil, good change. However, you can do way better still. And the reason I say that is that an olive tree does not have a faucet on it. In other words, that olive oil isn't really a natural product. The way you get olive oil is kind of the way you get sugar. To get sugar, you take sugar cane, throw away all the fiber and all the pulp and everything, and you take that sugar that's left, and we call that a refined product. To get olive oil, what do you do? You take 10,000 olives and you throw away all the pulp and all the fiber, and you have this olive oil. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries around the world. So hello to the exam roomies listening today in Ireland, Honduras, Kuwait, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Everybody everywhere, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place and making the exam room one of the most consumed nutrition podcasts available today. And if I could just take a second to say that if there's a veg fest in the Virgin Islands, I would love to do a live taping of the exam room there. Please, please, please hit me up. Let me know. Let's take the show on the road. <laughs> this is episode 85 of season four, number 280 overall. And today's top question is this. Is olive oil healthy? I mean, we hear a lot about its health benefits, but are they being offset by all of the fat that is found in that olive oil? It's a popular question that we will get an answer to in just a moment when we're joined by Dr. Neil Barnard. And he's going to be answering a lot more than just that, because we are going to open up the doctor's mailbag that is absolutely filled with more of your questions. So we have questions not just on olive oil, but also on coconut oil and flaxseed oil. Also, if you're vegan and you happen to have a low white blood cell count, does that mean that you also have a weak immune system? Plus, foods that may give you a headache and the first foods that any new vegan should buy. All of those questions and many more will be answered. Plus, after that, you know, Halloween, it's right around the corner. And I have details on a frightening new study about the dangers of dairy. But before we go any further, I want to take a moment to tell you about the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Their support of the Exam Room Podcast and the Physicians Committee is helping to not only raise our health IQs, but it also makes this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I. Terfund.org. Time now to open up the doctor's mailbag and raise those health IQs because class is in session and Dr. Neil Barnard is ready to teach. My friend, it is so good to see you again. Good to see you, Chuck. The first question comes to us from M. Healy on Instagram, Dr. Barnard, and it is this. Is olive oil healthy or does the fat in it wash out 
all of its health benefits? Uh, what a great question. Um, so many people have that. Um, the, the short answer is that olive oil is way better than chicken fat. Um, so if you are currently eating animal fats or you're using them in cooking and you switch to olive oil, good, good change. However, you can do way better still. And the reason I say that is that an olive does not, an olive tree does not have a faucet on it. In other words, that olive oil isn't really a natural product. The way you get olive oil is kind of the way you get sugar. To get sugar, you take sugar cane, throw away all the fiber and all the pulp and everything, and you take that, that sugar that's left, and we call that a refined product. To get olive oil, what do you do? You take 10,000 olives and you throw away all the pulp and all the fiber, and you have this olive oil. Um, why is that maybe not so great? Well, it's better than chicken fat, but not perfect for this reason. Um, saturated fat. That's the component of the fat that raises cholesterol and it's linked to Alzheimer's disease. For beef fat, it's about 50% saturated and the rest of beef fat is various other kinds of fat. Chicken fat, 30%. Olive oil, 14%. If you saute in water, it's 0%. So olive oil is better than chicken fat, not perfect. Um, if you're trying to lose weight, olive oil is just as fattening as lard. All fats have nine calories per gram. If you're dealing with any kind of hormonal issue or if insulin is not working well because, you know, you've got diabetes, um, get the fats out of your diet. Go vegan for sure. And in addition, keep olive oil and other fats to a minimum. You're going to do better. Oh, man, we got a lot of people talking about this right now in the chat room, including uh, Nan, uh, who is wondering about flaxseed oil and coconut oil as a follow up to that. Do they fall kind of in the same category as olive oil? They're widely different from each other. Flaxseed, good. Coconut oil, terrible. Uh, flaxseed does have omega-3 in it. That's really what it's famous for. And a lot of people will have a teaspoon of that. And yet you can't fault them for that. Um, but I wouldn't go, even with that, I wouldn't go crazy with it. I wouldn't have enormous amounts. A uh, teaspoon, maybe a tablespoon, but beyond that, you don't need it. Um, coconut oil, avoid it completely and avoid any product that's got it. Same for palm oil. They're loaded with saturated fat, despite all the marketing about how wonderful and natural they are. They're commercial products and they're not good. All right. At 1208, Kate Riley, here we go. We've talked about coconut oil, flaxseed oil, and olive oil, but Kate Riley at 1208 is wondering about avocado oil. And is that a healthier option? Uh, you can put it in your hair. Shine <laughs> your shoes with it. Um, it. I mean, it's sort of like olive oil in the sense that it's better than the animal fats, that's for sure. But all fats, including coconut oil, including olive oil, including avocado oil, have nine calories per gram. So if weight loss is your goal, skip it. Uh, if dealing with a hormonal issue or diabetes is an issue for you, skip that. And really, you've got to minimize all other fats. Um, we're not exactly sure why these fats misbehave so much with regard to, say, hormonal issues. When I say hormonal issues, I'm thinking about not just hot flashes, but also um, menstrual pain. When women go vegan and minimize the oils, that's where things really start to get better. Well, we've talked about the oils, but now what about the whole food here? So we have Kayla's creating also at 1208. What about a whole avocado? That has a lot of fat in it, but is that a healthy option? They're good if, if, if weight is not an issue for you. I mean, avocados, needless to say, are delicious and wonderful in so many ways. They're pretty fatty, unlike every other fruit or most, most every other fruit, like an apple or an orange or banana. Those are fruits without much oil. The avocado, by a quirk of nature, has got a lot of oil in it. Um, so it will slow down weight loss and have the other issues that we described. If those are not issues for you, then I wouldn't worry about having the avocado. 
Let's switch gears and take a question from Janice. Uh, this is interesting. She said that she just read your book, Your Body in Balance. She writes, for people who are allergic to soy, what would you suggest then for plant-based proteins? If you're doing this because of menopausal symptoms and hot flashes and you want to, you're using this, you would be using soy for that reason. Um, first of all, if you're thinking you're allergic, make sure that you're not avoiding it unless you really are allergic. Um, allergy can manifest in many ways, but typical ways are you'll get a rash, uh, your breathing might be affected and so forth. And if you are allergic, you then you do indeed have to skip it. Um, there are a lot of researchers um, who are using other kinds of beans, the black bean, the pinto bean, the navy beans. Those are the cousins of the soybean. Um, and some find that they do work. They have much less of the isoflavones, which are what we think is the reason why soybeans work so much. But you can try other beans and see if they work too. Let's take a question from Maya. Maya is ready to take the plunge and uh, go whole food plant-based into a, a vegan diet. She and her boyfriend, as a matter of fact, they say that they have decided to go vegan after watching What the Health, but now they're wondering what the heck they should buy. What are the first foods you recommend they put in their shopping cart? Oh, what a great question. Um, think about four groups. Think about grains. So grains, rice, uh, pasta is a grain, healthy breads, corn. Okay, great. Um, the next group, don't forget vegetables. When you get vegetables, I would think about two kinds, green vegetables, but also don't forget the orange vegetables, carrots, sweet potatoes. They're going to complement each other in the antioxidants they have, and frankly, they taste good together. Third, fruit, any and every, you know, whatever you like fruit-wise, apples, oranges, peaches, grapes, berries, they're all super. And last but not least, the legume group, the bean group, um, whether you love black beans, Pinto beans, navy beans, soybeans, whatever. So think about those four groups. Have them all um, every day, not necessarily all at the same meal. Don't forget vitamin B12. You need B12 for healthy nerves, for healthy blood. The amount you need is tiny, 2.4 micrograms. Go to the store, get the smallest one they sell. Or if you're taking a one-a-day vitamin, that's got B12 too. You know what Maya uh, and her boyfriend might find helpful is our 21-day vegan kickstart program, uh, which is available as a free app uh, on Android and iOS phones. And we also have that online at pcrm.org slash kickstart, a phenomenal program. I mean, Dr. Barnard, we're talking about meal plans. We're talking about recipes, even, even a uh, grocery store tour. They, they literally walk you through the aisles and show you what to put in your shopping cart. It's a really great way to get you going on your vegan journey just three weeks what a, what a great outline this is it sure is i gotta tell you we, we developed the 21 day vegan kickstart really for doctors because they're they're talking with their patients they don't have a lot of time they wanted to give this toolkit to the person who says gee i i want to i want to get healthier i want to do a vegan diet well the 21 day vegan kickstart app does that and uh there's a version for spanish speakers too so it is a really super thing. Uh, it's free. It's not promoting any commercial products. Uh, so download it and have at it. There you go. PCRM.org slash kickstart is where you can go ahead and find that right this very second, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Or if, you know, if you're going to, to the app store or whatever, you just put in 21 day vegan kickstart, you'll see it there. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Could not be easier. And uh, if you're here in the podcast, you can scroll on down to the episode notes. We'll put a link to everything you need right there as well. Uh, now, Dr. Bronner, one of the biggest benefits of adopting a plant-based diet is that it can significantly lower a person's cholesterol. So Life of Chaos at 1208 is wondering this, how long does it take to reverse moderately high cholesterol with a no-oil plant-based diet? Everybody's different but you should see an effect within a month or two months, um, maybe three to really see the full effect. But the reason I emphasize that is some people are wondering, gee, you know, do I have a genetically high cholesterol or whatever, or can I get away with a little bit of animal products? I would encourage you at least once in your life, do this. Take two months or even better, three months. During that period of time, no animal products at all and keep oils really low even the olive oil. And what most people see, 90% of people or more will see their LDL goes way down, that's bad cholesterol. Um, their total cholesterol drops too, their triglycerides typically better. Um, but for the one in 10 where it didn't, then that's where there's some kind of genetic tendency going on. Uh, but give yourself a couple of months and see how it goes. But it'll start to drop within the first month. Here's an interesting thing. And we've gotten this question a number of times on the show. Uh, we've heard from people who have uh, adopted a plant-based diet. They've had their blood work checked and lo and behold, they have a low white blood cell count. So Sally is wondering here, she's one of them. She says, some vegans have a low white blood cell count. Does that necessarily mean that their immune system is weak? No, it's the opposite. Um, okay. Let's say you go to the doctor and the doctor uh, does a blood test and says, you've got a really high white blood cell count. What's the doctor's next question? Where is your infection? What the doctor means is something's in your body causing a problem and you're making more and more white blood cells. Your white blood cells are your sentries, your, your soldiers. They're there to knock out invaders like viruses and bacteria. When people are on a healthy plant-based diet, they have a stronger immune system typically and their white blood cell count, tip, it's very common that it'll drop a little bit. It's still in the normal range. There's no reason to worry about it, but it is very, very common that just like a low cholesterol level, lower blood pressure, um, all of which are good, you're gonna, you're not gonna need the same white blood cell count you had before. This, it's not um, abnormal. That's a, a normal good thing. Here's something that I'm wondering is if the standard American diet, Dr. Barnard, is known to raise a person's white blood cell count, perhaps maybe because of inflammation or whatever, is that kind of skewing the normal range for white blood cells a little bit higher than they actually should be? Chuck, what a great question. Um, you know, you, we see exactly the phenomenon you're describing. People will go to the, in fact, we've even gotten this question here. Um, somebody will say, I got my cholesterol tested and I'm out of the range. And they'll say, what do you mean? What's the range? Well, my LDL is below where it should be. What can I eat to get my cholesterol back up? Those ranges are typically normal. They're often normals for an American population. And so if an American population has 10, tends toward a high cholesterol, we'll say, well, a good cholesterol is anything under 200. Um, in China, that would be a pretty high cholesterol level. And, and that's also true for, say, white blood cell counts and other things. So, so in some cases, the ranges are truly meant for health, like a, a healthy body mass index. Um, that's based on disease risk. In other cases, they're based on sort of population norms. And there, if, if you're better than the norm, it's sometimes a little, a little bit uh, concerning to people until they realize that they're in good shape. I had no idea that the target range for cholesterol was different from country to country. That's that's really interesting. I'm wondering now if ours is skewing higher than most other countries out there. Do you know? Well, 
the average cholesterol in America is just a, a hair over 200. So 200 was picked as a good target cholesterol because it's a nice round number that's close to where we are and can be e easily achieved. But if a person has got a cholesterol level and they're 210 and they go to 200, they're going in, in a good direction. If you take a whole population that gets there, they're going to be low risk of heart disease. If you get them to 190, they're better still. If you get them down to 170, down to 150, each one of these steps, they're still better until you get down to around 140, 150. At that point, you're, there's really not much benefit to going lower. But the idea of 200 being an optimal cholesterol level is just entirely um, an arbitrary thing based on an achievable target. Unfortunately, half of Americans die of heart problems, and that's where their cholesterol levels tend to be. Yeah. And as you know, it's not just high cholesterol that a lot of Americans are facing and people around the world. It's also high blood pressure. So let's go ahead and take a question from Raja Sri at 1215. It says, hi, Chuck. My father is suffering from high blood pressure and early stages of arthritis. I need a great suggestion from Dr. Barnard about what diet he might want to try. With some support um, and uh, some enthusiasm from, from his family members, which it sounds like you've got, I would follow a completely low-fat plant-based diet, vegan diet, um, lots of vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans. And you can say to a family member who you're encouraging to do this, to try it with a short-term focus. The reason I say that is they might think, oh, gee, I'm not sure if I want to really do this forever. Just do it for a short period of time, um, but do it all the way. And also keep oils really low. For most people, that alone is going to start bringing their blood pressure down. Now, let's add, don't go too crazy with the sodium. So you don't have to go to, for most people, they don't have to limit sodium dramatically. But keep it to, you know, two, two grams a day, something like that. And what that means is don't really cook with it so much. Add maybe a little bit at the table, but don't dump it in as you're stirring up foods and you make them. Um, if a family member can exercise, that will also help with bringing blood pressure down. Those steps alone for most people will, will tackle their blood pressure problem. But um, make sure your doctor is monitoring you because blood pressure can be a dangerous thing. And if diet hasn't brought it down, then you might need to think about medication. All right. We've got high blood pressure. We've got high cholesterol. Uh, now somebody who adopted a plant-based diet is wondering about BMI. Andrea at 1219, what is the ideal BMI? She says that she's achieved a BMI of 22, eating a whole food plant-based diet. Is that where she wants to be? Or she's wondering, should she even go lower than that? That is a perfectly great BMI. And if that's where you are, I would stop worrying. I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, you're just in, in a great range. Um, if you ask a statistician, they will say that a BMI, body mass index, which is your weight kind of uh, adjusted for how tall you are. Um, and, and, you, and by the way, you could check this yourself. Just go online and look up BMI calculator and you plug in your height and your weight and it'll tell you BMI. A statistician will say you want to be between 18 and a half and 25. And the reason they say that is that if you're out of that range upward, you're at higher risk for heart disease and diabetes and obesity and certain cancers. If you're below that, that's not good either. But 22, you are doing great. Now, for some people, they're going to be on the higher range because they're very muscular. And it's really the, the excess fat that, that's the, the problem. Uh, some people are a little bit more what we used to call ectomorphic or thin people. Um, and so we might have a slightly lower BMI, but you're in a great, great range. Uh, by the way, let me go back. Um, if you don't mind, Chuck, you mentioned in the earlier question that the person who uh, called in was concerned about a family member who didn't just have blood pressure issues, but also some arthritis. 
And let me, if you don't mind, I'd just like to address that really quickly. Um, not for everybody, but for some people, foods can trigger joint uh, symptoms. And there is no risk to, uh, to trying a healthy diet. And the way you do it is you avoid animal products completely, vegan diet, do this for about four weeks. And if your symptoms still continue, then try an elimination diet. And I've descri- I described this in my book, The Cheese Trap, and also in my book, Foods That Fight Pain. They, they list how to do an elimination diet. But real quickly, what you do is, okay, you say, all right, I'm going to do a test. I want to see if I'm reacting to some food that's making my arthritis worse. What we do, we take all those foods out. So we're not only going to be vegan, but for a short time, we're going to avoid not just dairy products, but also chocolate, citrus fruits, uh, nuts, tomatoes, onions, corn, even apples and bananas. These were picked because although they're healthy foods, for the occasional person, they can trigger arthritis symptoms. Uh, potatoes, same story. And so you avoid all those foods for a couple weeks. If, but, but you eat unlimited amounts of the things that are left, like rice and beans and cooked green vegetables and, and fruits, and you go ahead and have those. If your joints cool down, then add these eliminated foods back one at a time every two days. And if the food causes a flare-up of your symptoms, bingo, you found a trigger. Many people have more than one. And if you found a trigger, then it is like gold because then you just avoid that food. And for some people, their symptoms are absolutely gone. So as I mentioned, you'll find more details about that in my book, The Cheese Trap, including how to do that kind of elimination diet. And for some people, it is just a really cool education. And uh, you can do it with uh, arthritis. You can do it with migraines. You can do it with skin conditions like eczema. See, See if it works. Speaking of migraines, we do have a question from someone uh, on Instagram, and they're wondering, what are the most common foods that trigger them? Dairy comes top. And and by the way, we used to say, well, it was aged cheese, but you know, it can be skim milk you just bought at the store this afternoon. Um, It's something about the dairy protein that seems to really be a problem. So we did did a migraine study a number of years ago following exactly this method. And so the the big triggers that we worry about are dairy products, chocolate, eggs, citrus fruits, meat, wheat, nuts, tomatoes, onions, corn, apples, bananas. A vegan diet takes the big ones out and the other ones you can see if you need to to eliminate them by just eliminating them over the short term and bringing them back one by one. Question from Alex Gomez, 1222. This sounds like it may be a good problem to have. I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. If on a plant-based diet, and your cholesterol levels are low, should you continue with statins and aspirin? Brand new study about aspirin. What doctors have been doing up until now is saying, take a baby aspirin. Uh, A baby aspirin interferes with clotting a little bit. And the idea is that uh, if you have, say, an arrhythmia, where blood is pooling in the heart and it could tend to clot and you throw a clot to your brain, you'll have a stroke. Uh, or it can go to your lungs and you have a, an embolism. You don't want that. And an, an aspirin helps reduce the risk of that. But an aspirin, because it interferes with clotting, means you're going to bleed more often. And so doctors are now, as of <laughs> about a week ago, they stopped cheerleading for baby aspirin. Um, there are certain cases where they will use it. These are for people who are at particularly high risk. But, but now, um, if I remember the, 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 the guidance correctly, if you haven't had the heart attack, you haven't had the stroke 
but you're at, at, at just higher risk for the most part, we are omitting aspirin. But talk to your, your caregiver and see where your own risks um, line up. That's really important. Do you need a statin? Probably 10 years ago, people would have said, yeah, keep taking the statin anyway because they're safe and they're not going to hurt you. But over time, we have discovered that statins do cause weight gain. They increase the risk of diabetes a little bit. Um, there have been Overall, a low cholesterol protects the brain, but there have been hundreds of cases of people with brain disorders triggered by statins that went away when they stopped their statins. So I have to say that although I recognize that statins have an important role for people who are just cannot lower their cholesterol, for a person who already has a low cholesterol, I personally would be, I would not be cheerleading for statins in that case. I know that Almost everybody is treating them as vitamin L. Everybody ought to be on the pitor. I think we ought to recognize the, the side effects of them and not prescribe them for the patient who doesn't need them. Um, let's, let's answer a fun question. Let's take one from Michael right now. He says, with Halloween coming up, Dr. Barnard, what would you say are some of the scariest foods that people eat? Just about everything that goes into that Halloween bag is something you um you're not so happy to put in there. Um, this is a big issue for people where in any neighborhood where anybody still dares go out at night and trick or treat and ring the doorbells of people they don't know. Um, back when I was a kid, we, we would only take packaged candy uh, because if somebody gave you an apple, we thought they had tampered with it and they were going to kill us. I think that those are important concerns to this day. So we want to really be thinking about healthy foods. And if it's something packaged, maybe a small package of nuts or something like that, um, there are things like trail mixes and, and um, dried bars that can be given. Something like that probably going to beat the socks off a uh, big chocolate bar or something. No, you mean the Butterfinger bite size aren't really good for us? Is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> Sorry to break your heart, Chuck. All right. Question from Christine. Ooh, good one. How old is too old to go vegan? Could my 81-year-old mom profit by switching to a plant-based diet? Absolutely. Age is not a barrier. And let me tip my hat to Dean Ornish, who is really a medical genius and has been doing such wonderful work for such a long time. Way back 30 years ago, he just knocked the, the socks off the medical community by showing that heart disease was reversible. And the thing that I was really struck by his work was that age was not a barrier. Didn't matter. Um, you can have been building up artery disease for a long period of time, and it doesn't matter how old you are, you should be making a change. Now, um, the biggest problem that older people have is that they have young people who think they're old and think you're too old to change. But you know what? I remember years ago, I was visiting my parents in what they, what they called the old folks home, retirement community. And I was giving a lecture about nutrition and I was talking to them about what food could do. And you could just see people were saying, well, I'm on so many medicines. If I could do, get off these medicines, my quality of life would be so much better. I'm on medicines for blood pressure. I'm on medicines for cholesterol. I'm on medicines for diabetes. I'm on medicines for stomach acid. If I could change my diet, I would be really, really happy. So I said, okay, how many of these people in this room would like to go vegan, say, for the next three weeks? If I can talk to the dietary department and get vegan foods served, every hand went up. So what does that mean? 81's not too old to do it. All we need is a little love and support from our family members, a kind of a pathway to doing it. And so um, have a look at the app that we described earlier. And if you're an 81 year old who doesn't know app too much, you might need somebody else to show you what that means, but have at it. You can learn some new tricks and you might, might be able to reduce your need for medication too. 
All right, let's see. We have time for a few more. And oh, here's one that I absolutely adore from Kaylee at 1224. Because so often when we set out on a journey to get healthy and we're closely watching the scale, the numbers aren't moving as quickly as you would like them to be. And we live in a, what have you done for me lately? I want it now kind of society. But Kaylee is wondering to that end, maybe this would help. Does an overweight vegan have the same risk for diabetes as an overweight person who eats meat? So the way I translate that, Dr. Barnard, is as soon as you switch to a plant-based diet, does your risk for diabetes begin to fall? Yeah, it does. Um, and if weight is a continuing issue, though, and you're thinking about how do I tackle my not only my weight, but my diabetes risk, I would do two things. I would not just continue a vegan diet. That's important because that means there's no animal fat in your diet, no animal products at all. That's great. But I would also keep oils really low and any oily foods like nuts, seeds, nut butters, avocados, cooking oils. Why? Because as we've talked about on this program and on our other programs, and as you see on uh, PCRM.org, if you look at diabetes, our diabetes information, the problem with type 2 diabetes is that fat has built up in the muscle and liver cells. And as long as that fat is inside those cells, we can't get the glucose out of the blood and into the cell. Your insulin just isn't working very well. But on a low-fat vegan diet, that gets turned around, and it gets turned around pretty quickly. So let your doctor know that you're making this change and see how you do. All right, let's uh, see if we can get Khalid some help here. He's wondering about his uh, young baby daughter. Says, my 15-month-old daughter has abnormally high levels of B12. Should we stop giving her supplements and then recheck her in a year? Great question. She's got high level B12. Um, first of all, by all means, talk to your pediatrician. Um, she's 15 months old. It's, it's good to, to check these things. Um, B12 is something everybody needs. doesn't matter what your diet is. It doesn't matter how old you are. Everybody needs B12. However, the amount you need is really, really, really small. For an adult, the RDA recommended uh, dietary allowance, 2.4 micrograms, not grams, not milligrams, but micrograms, 2.4 micrograms for an adult. No, but I'm 15 months old. Uh, it's less than one microgram. It's about 0.9 micrograms. That is really, really tiny. So, you're a loving parent. You go to the health food store. You say, I want to get a B12 supplement that's 0.9 micrograms. And they're going to say, well, look down the aisle where the smallest one you find is 500. Okay. So what you will discover is that pediatric vitamins, um, that, that uh, these like prenatal type vitamins, same, basically the same kind of thing that a mother's taking afterward. Uh, but there are vitamins for, for kids. Um, I'm sorry, let me not be confusing. Mom can take vitamins if she's breastfeeding. The vitamins will pass through to the kids. So the prenatal ones are similar to what you can take afterwards. For the child, the, the vitamins that are made for kids have much smaller amounts of these. I'm talking about Flintstones and the other brands that are made for kids. And so they got smaller amounts. But let me circle back to where we started. Don't forget to see your pediatrician. Uh, let's take a question here from Andrea. <laughs> Andrea said, I heard you talk recently about garlic and how healthy it can be. Is that something we should be eating every day? If so, how much? How much is if people aren't shying away from you, you need to add a little bit more. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. 
Uh, Johnny writes, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you for all the work that you do. Well, you're welcome, Johnny. Uh, I'm wondering, though, are there any good studies about the relationship between your diet and hair loss? Yeah, um, there, there are some. In fact, in your Body Unbalanced, you'll see a chapter on skin and hair. Have a look. It's surprising. Um, where this came into our radar was a number of years ago. Um, as you probably know the story about Japan, Japan had a, a mostly plant-based diet where the dietary staple foods, rice, tofu, a lot of vegetables, and that was kind of the Japanese diet, little bits of fish, no dairy. Uh, 80s, 90s, 2000s, uh, the diet was changing. And uh, a burger culture started to evolve in, in Tokyo and Osaka and so forth. And dermatologists started to report something fascinating in addition to all the other problems that Japan started to have, more obesity, more diabetes, a lot more breast cancer, and more hot flashes, they also started to notice that there was more baldness. And so we have looked at whether the test, baldness relates to testosterone's actions on the hair follicle. Um, and what we now believe is that the standard American diet, which is now being exported to Japan and everywhere else, causes an exaggeration of testosterone's activity on the hair follicle and causes baldness to occur earlier. So um, see, uh, take that for what it's worth. We, we do not have double-blind trials where you bring in people who are losing their hair and have half of them start a healthier diet to see if they can keep their hair. Um, it would be a neat trial to do, but there's no reason not to follow a totally healthy, completely plant-based diet. Two more quick questions. Another one from Andrea. Does vitamin C cause kidney stones that you know of? Um, that was a hugely controversial thing. Linus Pauling, who's won two Nobel Prizes, um, was, was a huge advocate. And at the time of his death, he was eating 18 grams of vitamin C a day um, and really felt it was not a cause of kidney stones. Um, I guess where I would come down is that you don't need to be having enormous amounts of vitamin C. Do maintain your hydration so that you're getting adequate urine volume up. And apart from that, I would think that vitamin C would very likely not be contributing to kidney stones for you. All right. And the final question, let's take one from George at 1237. Uh, going back to milk, which we've talked about a little bit earlier today, is organic grass-fed milk good to drink? If you are a calf, apart from that, no, 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 absolutely. Milk is a cocktail that mother nature stuck in the udder of a cow to have what you really need to make a calf grow rapidly. Mother nature made a slightly different cocktail that goes into the breasts of a human being. And so that a woman can, can nurse her baby and her baby gets the nutrition that the baby needs and can grow rapidly. But nature has weaning processes for cows, for everybody else. And that's because that, that cocktail that we call mother's milk is no longer appropriate um, after the very first stages of life. Um, why not? Because it is loaded with fat and it doesn't have any fiber in it and it doesn't really have what you need when you get older. And so people will, for, for generations, were serving a grass-fed, you know, what they called grass-fed milk. It was a cow that would go out in the pasture and eat grass and come back in and get milk. Um, it's clearly linked to prostate cancer, probably linked to breast cancer, linked to uh, all kinds of other conditions. It doesn't matter if it's grass-fed or not.
take a second right now to set an alarm, set a reminder for every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. That is when we do the exam room live on YouTube and on Facebook. And that is your best chance right then and there to interact with our experts and ask your question. And you can also send in your question ahead of time. Send it to me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll, WLC. And if you want to take a closer look at some of the things that we were talking about on the show today, you can go ahead and scroll on down to the episode notes because there we have links for you to pick up your copy of Your Body in Balance, as well as to download the 21-day Vegan Kickstart app that will get you going on your plant-based journey. Moving on. It is another week and there is another scary dairy study. Let's head to the exam room news desk for the details. There is more evidence today that milk does not do a body good. Researchers in Japan say that consuming dairy, such as cheese and milk, significantly increases your risk of getting prostate cancer. A study of more than 26,000 people finds those who consumed the most milk were 37% more likely to develop cancer. But on the flip side, the less a person drank, the less likely they were to have cancer. Increased risk was also found among those who ate yogurt. The findings confirm previous research showing strong dairy cancer connections. A 2016 meta-analysis conducted at Harvard finds men who are heavy milk drinkers have a 43% increased risk of dying from prostate cancer. Experts believe this could be because dairy increases the production of the hormone insulin-like growth factor 1, or IGF-1, while also depressing the activation of vitamin D. Today's episode of The Exam Room has been brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Greg Ryder's love for animals was unrivaled, and today, the fund in his honor is dedicated to supporting organizations like the Physicians Committee that share that same passion, that same love that Greg had. And they're doing it through animal rescue efforts and by promoting a vegan lifestyle and even wildlife conservation. Right now, I invite you to please visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R, fund.org, so that you can learn more about Greg's story and the animal issues that they are currently working on. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to their newsletter. And a link to do everything right now is in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for answering so many of your questions. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.